Coffees and Booze on Moncrief with Marks and Spencer. They're gonna make me a dining offer I can't refuse. A martini, shaken monster. Of all the gin joints in all the world, she walks into mine. It is indeed uh, time for Movies and Booze. Esther McCarthy, Jean Smullen and Fanula Jones uh, join us uh, once again. Good afternoon to you all. Hi, guys. Hello. Uh, and so, Esther, uh, the uh, obviously the Sinead O'Connor documentary is probably one of the bigger movie events of the week, if not the biggest. Um, in love, I just... It's Senna good, Sean. It's that good. Um, it's really, really great. It focuses, I suppose, on a period um, in the 1990s when she kind of shot to the height of her fame and became really famous. But, you know, we didn't know then that uh, being a rebel was part of Sinead's DNA and she was just never going to be comfortable with um, A, acting pretty for the cover of her album, which is what uh, caused her to shave her head around that time. Which the industry was putting pressure on her. And um, <laughs> Ironically, and B, it made her even better look on it. <laughs> absolutely. I know it's, I know it's ridiculous. Um and then just the whole idea of, of, you know, the whole idea, she says in the film, of not using her voice to protest social change that was going on at the time um, was just alien to her. You know, it's just not something she could even counter. So it centres around two huge times in her life. Um, one is the tearing up of um, the Pope's picture on Saturday Night Live. Uh, we get a delicious little bit of detail there that it was actually on her mother's uh, kitchen wall. That picture <laughs> that she tore. Yeah. Um, I'd never, I don't know if that's known. I'd never heard it before. Um, and then the other time is the bit, the circumstances building up to, um, the recording of Nothing Compares to You and mm. that video that's just etched in all our minds forever. I think one of the greatest music videos of all time. Yeah. And because apparently I read today that the, uh, that Prince's estate didn't give permission to use the song. Uh, and they had some quote from, I think, his sister say, oh, well, his version is better in me, hoop. Uh, uh, like he only, I think, released it after she'd had that massive hit with it. Absolutely. And I mean, I'd say just I'd say it kills him that he gave away one of his best songs. Well, he's dead now. So just... something else killed him already. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it just comes up on a card at the very end of the film. And, you know, it's really interesting. I hadn't noticed they hadn't used the song. And I think that's the great filmmaking ah, yeah. of Catherine Ferguson at play here. She did something very striking and visual and the way it was edited. I'd have to watch it again to see how I was tricked. Um, but I didn't. The song was, was in my brain. I was cued by great filmmaking in that I believed that I, that I heard it, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, that is that. That's very skillfully done. Right. And The Lost yes. King. The Lost King is uh, one of my favourite English actresses, Sally Hawkins. Love her and everything she does. Um, she is playing this woman who kind of an amateur historian who became fixated with finding the remains of King Richard III. Um, and she it's ostensibly about that but what is more interesting about this film is that I think this woman it, she's kind of a lonely character she's you know she suffers from ME and has affected her career and her life and it's very well characterised by Sally Hawkins I was more interested than that than the imaginary friend King to be honest with you yeah, is this, me out of the film a bit Is this based on a true story? It's based loosely on a true story and it's causing a lot of controversy, which is funny because it's like such an old school English drama. But apparently the folks at Leicester University are not happy. Um, the narrative arc of the film has that it was her discovery, but the uh, boffins in the university kind of 
made the claim of um, of finding uh, King Richard III's remains but by themselves and undermined her. And they're not happy with that at all. So oh. Steve Coogan's been having a bit of a barney with them. Uh, Coogan stars in it and co-wrote the script. Ah, right. Yes, that's a, nothing, nothing nastier than a good academic uh, and, I, and war against people. Uh, right. And so, uh, uh, Jean, we're, we're going to uh, uh, talk uh, a bit later about two mid-range or mid-range wines. Wines. Yeah, What's yeah. a mid-price wine? Mid- well, nowadays, it's really between 15 and 20 euro. And, I think and, that's all wine now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, like uh, I, uh, pre-COVID, you know, the average price of a bottle of wine was about 8.29 and people would spend between about 8 and 10 euro on a bottle. Mm. And then... Uh, um, during lockdown, people, because they couldn't go out, people were actually spending up to 25 euro on a bottle of wine because working on the premise, well, you know, we can't have the meal out in the restaurant, so let's buy a really decent bottle of wine and enjoy it with either a posh takeaway or something we've cooked ourselves. So that became very much the norm um, during the two years we were locked down. Obviously then, when everything opened up, people started going to restaurants again and the average price came down significantly. But um, anecdotally, I've heard in the trade, yeah, 25 euro was there was an awful lot of um, particularly the independent off-licenses who were selling wines at that price. Mm, So um, mid-price now is really 15 to 20 and both wines we have today are just under the 20 euro mark. But I actually feel now once the belt tightening starts happening, people aren't going to be going out as much and not even just, you know, to the pub for a pint or whatever. So what they will do is you'll get, you'll you'll have only so much of that by February you'll be saying, oh, for God's sake, let's get a really good bottle of wine tonight. So I I think it's worth flying the flag with a couple of um, kind of what we call mid-price wines. One is from Italy, from the shores of Lake Garda and the other is from the Alt Penedon days in um, near Barcelona and they're both absolutely super wines. Okay, sounds lovely. Now, uh, Jean has poured out, I did cha- uh, talk to the chap who make, uh, from the company who make these bottles of this flat pack wine. Yeah, and actually this is my very first time to see it. In fact, I just took a picture and put it up on Twitter there. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, if you literally lift the bottle of glass bottle and then you lift this, you know, yeah. it's, it's significant. Look, the thing is, this is the future. Um Everything that I was listening outside, everything that man said about what's happening in terms of carbon neutral is absolutely right, you yeah. know, in terms of the wine industry. And everybody is trying to be sustainable and, you know, um, try and find like the, the bottle weight is a big issue. This is actually, I mean, it's, it's, it's very easy. It's very transportable as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, it is. It's yeah. the first thing that strikes I think, me. I mean, because he did say those, because I said it looked a bit like a, you know, kind of a, um, a, a noggin bottle, but yeah, a yeah. noggin bottle, it but looks bigger. It like a large noggin bottle. You could bottle. stick it in yeah. your pocket and just wander around the place with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And, and actually, what we have here is the Hardy's Knotted Hill, which is, you know, a very well known brand on the Irish market. It's Shiraz. It's Australian Shiraz 2021. Um, just to have a quick sip of it. Yeah. Uh, this does everything it says on the plastic bottle. Yeah. It's absolutely there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's got you've got your lovely blackcurrant flavors. The acidity is there. The tannin structure is there. Coming out of a plastic bottle does not make this wine taste any different to a wine that I would taste had I opened it out of a bottle. Yeah. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> 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 But, is that actually the is that is that what it's in? Or my, is it I, I don't know. Itself? I just I maybe I'm being a schnob. But you know the way you kind of your yeah, anticipation is just you know yeah. uh, not the well, same. Well, you see, this is the thing. thing. There, there's also that which is uh, impacting on your perception of the wine. Uh, oh no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah it's yeah. like orange potatoes. 
taste different. You know the way M and M's like are different colours, and it's actually all they all taste the exactly same, the same. But everyone hates the green one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the for same some thing. weird reason. Yeah. Right. So we don't know who's going to be the next James Bond, Fanula, but we know who won't be the next James Bond. Is that Ye- the gist of what's happening? Yes, essentially, uh, it's been Bond's 60th anniversary this week. Happy birthday, Bond! Um, so the, one of the producers, Michael G. Wilson, has been coming out and talking about it and I said look we haven't started casting it but in their mind it's someone who has experience is a veteran and the age they've kind of put it at is someone who's in their 30s is the exact quote that's why Bond works if it's uh, for a 30 something is what he said so by that logic fans have worked out that the people it wouldn't be would be Tom Holland which I don't know how he was ever in the conversation because he's a fetus but I think it was just that he said he wanted <laughs> to be Bond but he's still you know like uh, he's yeah. just played a high schooler when he grows up you yeah. know yeah. exactly when you start shaving Def- I could yeah. believe it later on but not yeah. now but anyway he's ruled out Idris Elba who's been in the conversation since time began I don't think would ever even do it now if it was offered to him but basically because he's 50 he's ruled out apparently why, why wouldn't he do it I think that uh, this is just pure assumption. Like yeah. I'm not friends with yourself, but we haven't spoken yeah. about this. But okay. I feel like just that's not what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just because it's been kind of touted for so long, and I suppose I feel like if it would have happened, if it was to happen, it would have happened by now. And maybe mm. there's a pride thing there for him. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. because you remember with Pierce Turner or Pierce Turner, Pierce Brosnan. Um, Pierce Brosnan was doing, I think it was Remington Steel at the time, and mm. the whole world was going, oh my God, he's so Bondy. But 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 he couldn't get out of that contract, so they had to give it to somebody else. I can't remember who. Yeah. And then they gave it to him yeah. after that. And, you know, he, he wasn't too fussed. He, yeah. he was delighted to take it. But sure, even he's saying this week now, like when the, con- when the conversation around who's going to be next, like the casting, he's fully said, like, I don't care. I don't care who the next Bond is. Don't yeah. ask me. I'm not bothered. <laughs> um, but in terms of other people that are ruled out, if you're just going on this age thing, Tom Hardy, because he's 45, I don't think he fits Bond anyway because he's too mad. He's just entering jiu-jitsu competitions. I know, but, like, but he has the kind of the same look that the, the, the Bond just got on. A bit kind of, you Daniel know. Create like, yeah, da- you know, Ed- being punched in the face a lot, look. Yeah. You know. Uh, Tom Hiddleston, apparently then, also not in the mix because he is 41 and ancient, apparently. Oh, stop. Um, then still in the running, if you're to go with this 30-something bracket, is Regé Jean Page, who's probably best known for Bridgerton, and mm. the Grey Man more recently. Uh, Dev Patel. I like Dev Patel, but I've said it to other people and people think he's a bit too nice. No, he's not Bondy. Okay, yeah. that's fair. I don't think so. Richard no. Madden, the bodyguard. Yeah. Rocket Man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like he's the one I gravitate closest towards. Yeah, yeah. And then Henry Cavill as well, obviously the Witcher and Superman as well. So, And he hasn't done much, really. That Witcher thing was well, garbage, even though it was like really popular on Netflix. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's really popular for that fandom, but beyond yeah. that, I don't think the impact has been felt, so... Could yeah. still be a woman. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? But, but actually, going back to Idris Elba, because like, Idris Elba hasn't really found a kind of... There hasn't been... I don't feel he hasn't been cast in anything where you go, oh my God, he was... I mean, The Wire, he was fantastic. But yeah. since that time, there's been a big gap where he's kind of bouncing back and forth between different sorts of films. What's the other detective thing he does? Luther? Yeah. That's probably it as well. Yeah. Like he's, he's done the DC superhero thing. Like He was in the most recent Suicide, Suicide Squad and that was terrible. And he's yeah. in a a movie about an alien lion or something called Beast that is also... I haven't seen it, but it looks so bad. Um, Yeah, he hasn't really... Bond would have been perfect for him, but I just think it's moved too far past that now for him. Aww. But then I'm also like, if you're asked to be Bond, there's a pride and ego thing there to be able to say you did Bond. So maybe you would say yes. Yeah. And if the price is right. Oh, no, absolutely. Right, and the... the uh, now, this is weird. Now, people will probably remember that the, the tragic shooting on, on the set of Rust. 
they're going to go on and make the film. Yes. Um, ah, so her, her estate, Helena Hutchins' estate, they've reached a settlement with the production company, um, but they're going to carry on filming in January. Um, I think in initial discussions around settlements, they inevitably collapsed, but initially... Baldwin, you know, and because it's his production company, they mm. were arguing that like we should carry on making the film because I think there are some child actors in it, and they were saying that those children would have aged out by like the kind of there's an urgency there to shoot. Yeah, those talks collapsed, but um, yeah, now there could still be criminal charges taken against Baldwin and the armorer who was uh, involved with yeah. this tragic incident. Um, but yeah, they've said uh, Helena is going to be an ex- uh, named as an executive producer now and. I don't know, but it is. I think that was the most surprising thing that they were even going to carry on with it. Especially like if you if you've like killed somebody, even if it's completely accidental, why would you want to go back to that place of work, so to yeah. speak, and 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 kind of do it again and do that scene again? Yeah. And I know there's a thing of keeping people in work or whatever, but it's like who is actually going to see this now either? You know what I mean? From yeah. that perspective, yes. it's Yeah. This is totally overshadowed it. And rightly so, obviously, but it's it's so mad. So mad. That's so strange. Right, uh, let's move on okay. to our, our, our second wine of the day. Our, our second wine of the day. So, um, the, this is our first white wine. It's the 2020 Thomasy Le Fornaci. That's the name of the vineyard. Lugana, that's the name of the region beside Lake Garda where the wine is made. 1799, you'll get it in Martins in Fairview, Jus de Vine in Port Marnock, Nolans in Clontarf and La Touche uh, in Greystones. Um, Pierre Angelo Thomasy did an online tasting. Oh God, it was back in April. He's the third generation of his family to run the business. And he, we tasted three wines, which he feels really represents the history of the estate. His Amarone, which is world class. And, you know, it's absolutely amazing. It's about 50 euro a bottle. And then this white wine, which is kind of one of their flagship wines. Um, they, the, his great grandfather started the business in 1902. Today they have nearly 600 hectares of land all over Italy and they make wine in so many different regions. Um, Stefano, uh, Piangelo's brother, is actually the winemaker here. So, Lugana, I, it, actually one of my last trips before, um, lockdown was to, um, Bardolino and to Lake Garda, which is a wonderful place. And Lugana is a small appellation or DOC as they call it in Italy, just on the shores uh, near the, the city of Simone. And, um, Trebbiano is the grape. Now, Trebbiano is a bit of a workhorse grape. It's not like in France, it's called Uni Blanc and it's one, it's so widely planted all over the south of France. And not a lot of people kind of rate Trebbiano and it, it's it kind of goes into an awful lot of, um, it's a lot of suave. It's the, the grape that makes suave as oh, well. Right, yeah. But the thing is, what they're using here is a superior clone of Trebbiano once that has evolved and it's called Turbinia. And um, it used to be called Trebbiano de Lugana. And obviously, this is a, pr- a premium um, Trebbiano clone that has evolved in this specific mesoclimate, in this specific small area off Lake Garda. So, um, what you have here is they, they use two plots. They have an inland plot that's predominantly sand and loam. And then they have another plot that's closer to the shores where, like, the reflective sunshine ripens the grape. They actually blend the two together and they make this wine, uh, the 2021 Thomas C. Lugana. It's absolutely beautiful. The first thing I noticed... It is lovely. It's so delicious. Yeah. Floral on the nose. But that that 
beautiful floral character. This is like most Italian white wines. They, they ferment at a low temperature to strip out the colour, the flavour and the alcohol because the Italians like neutral white wines. This is in no way neutral. This has actually got wonderful aromatic floral and then that those beautiful floral notes follow when you taste it. Lovely ripe melon fruit friend and there's a lovely freshness. So it's seventeen ninety nine. so you're, you're really, you're spending it. But if if on a dark November night you fancy a treat and you say God you know what let's just get ourselves a really decent bottle of wine mm. to enjoy in front of the fire you know because the electricity's off I don't think we're allowed to have fires anymore either yeah <laughs> When, when you're out in the back garden burning your furniture, oh, that's uh, yeah, that's that's, uh, we'll that's yeah. when you'll drink it, right? Uh, 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 Esther, well, should we do uh, Sinead first? Oh, completely, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nothing compares. Coming up after this break. That I was so wounded already that that really, really killed me and hurt me. You know, they all thought I, I should be made a mockery of for throwing my career down the drain. I never set out to be a pop star. It didn't suit me being a pop star. So I didn't throw away any career that I wanted. Didn't change my attitude. I wasn't sorry. I didn't regret it. I was the proudest thing I've ever done as as an artist. They broke my heart and they killed me. But I didn't die. They tried to bury me. They didn't realise I was a seed. Right, that's uh, uh, Sinead, obviously, uh, speaking in the documentary about a period of her life called uh, Nothing Compares. So, like, obviously, as you were saying before, Esther, it, it's it's those two very, uh, very turbulent events in our life. How, like, where does it start, though? It does give you a lovely, beautiful look in, in the way that the very best music documentaries do of innocent times. Um, we find out she put a, an ad in Hot Press looking for a band, uh, that she moved to London as a young woman and found, really found her voice within the gay community in London, which I hadn't known before, um, and in the music industry there, uh, especially the Rasta music industry. She's been a huge fan of Rasta music all her life. Of course, oh, yeah, she used to go to, down and hang out in the shop. Uh, it was in her memoir that she'd go down every day and hang out with okay. all these kind of old Rasta guys, uh, which yeah. must have been weird for her and for them. Uh, really. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and um, so with that, all of those innocent, lovely times are there and it does feel like an affirmation of her talent and of her music, um, how she built that career for herself. Um, as I said, rebelled from the very beginning once there was music industry interest in her um, about the idea of looking pretty, as you said, shaved her head and looked even more beautiful. Um, But she just says in the film, I didn't want any man telling me who I could be, what I could be or what to sound like, what to sound like. And that was her attitude from the outset. And she just activism and music went hand in hand for her. She, you know, she just didn't have the DNA to even consider otherwise. So um, it, it builds then really, really well into um, the tearing up of the Pope's photo on Saturday Night Live, you know, we were reminded she refused to go on uh, performing a gig in the States if they had played um, the national anthem mm. beforehand. And there was a bit, a bit of a standoff there. So she was already kind of annoying people even before she um, ripped up the, the Pope's photo. But she gives great context to that. It's shocking now to look back on it like she just... 
you know, you, you hear her performing um, Bob Marley's song War mm. um, and she snuck the photo in. Nobody had a clue until it was live television that she was going to do it. Um, but the deathly silence when she does it, it's, it's just like the audience, nobody knows what to do. Um, they ended up pillaring her on Saturday Night Live in subsequent, um, we see some shocking footage of, of things they say about her and they frankly owe her an apology. Um, and she just comes across the back and says, you know, she had come across around that time, she'd come across an article about families who had been trying to do, uh, lodge complaints against the church over sexual abuse. Um, uh, she said they were being silenced. And she realised that everything, because she she does talk about being quite a good Catholic girl when she was younger, which is kind of amusing. Um, and basically says everything <laughs> I I'd think been she raised. She was that good when she was younger. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she was very religious. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, she and she says basically everything she was raised to believe was a lie, and that was a protest to that. Um, you see her publicist as well. There's some really interesting <sighs> contributors here because you don't often hear. You know, publicists teach famous people how to stay out of the limelight. So mm. you don't often hear them contributing in documentaries. Um, but her then publicist, Elaine Schock, um, talks about after that happened, she followed her into the dressing room and she said, you know what, Sinead, I don't think I can get you out of this. And Sinead said to her, you know what, I don't want you to. So it was, you know, she knew what she was doing. It was an absolute form of rebellion. Um, an artist's job, she says in the film, is sometimes to create difficult conversations that need to be had. That's what art is for. Um, so that was kind of like it went mad after that. Then there were mm. death threats sent to our management. Um, we see in the very opening scene in the film, she performed at um, a, Dob- a Bob Dylan tribute gig about six weeks later. Yeah. And she was met with this thundering mix of jeers and cheers, she says. And um, you see footage I had never seen before of, of Chris Christopherson um, trying to console her. And he says, don't let the, uh, I better not say the word on air. Don't let the balsas get, get you, you down. Yes, thanks, yeah. Sean. Okay. Got me out of it. Yeah. Um, don't let the balsas get Oh, we've been taken off air. Sorry, this will be my last show. <laughs> <laughs> to which she replies, I'm not down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then, then when you see, you see them going off stage and she just sobs into his arms. I've never seen that footage before and it's really extraordinary. Mm. Um, and you do, you can't watch this film and not really feel for her given what you know what she's struggled with since and and the year she's having this year like it's quite an emotional watch to look back at those times you know and then the other great arc in it is um the making of the nothing compares uh to you video we find out from one of the producers that she was in great form actually that day even though she looked so emotional on camera that she was um dancing around to reggae music and smoking spliffs in between takes. Uh, but that he saw, he looked into the lens and saw there's something magical happening here. It's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with the cinematographer. There is something, Sinead is creating something amazing here. And he he said, even when they were making it, like it would stop the heart in him to look into the lens and see her performance. Yeah, so I've often really. Yeah, I've often wondered about that video. Did they did they have other plans for it? In the sense, did they intend it to be just one long continuous take of Sinead O'Connor's face, or or did, or did that kind of happen on the day that they thought we there's nothing else that's as good as looking at Sinead O'Connor singing <laughs> this song? Funny enough, now like you, that's how I remembered it. But when you see it again, there's actually footage of her walking through a park in huh. Paris as well. Yeah, um, it's just. 
some things are so imp- impactful that you can think of nothing else in your mind's eye. And, and that for me was when that tear dropped down her cheek, you know. Yeah. Uh, we do find out they'd hired a French um, filmmaker. Again, like this is seen through a feminist lens. And I was kind of like, mm, I'm not sure I want something shoehorned. You better prove your case, you know. And I think Catherine Ferguson, the, the filmmaker here, absolutely nails her case. First of all, in making us rethink about how she was treated at that time. Um, and secondly, you know, there's artists now, there's um, Skin actually is one of the contributors and she talks about like that Sinead O'Connor was a trailblazer for her, enabled her to express herself in her music. And I think it's absolutely comprehensively made um, the point that she was ahead of her time yeah. and that you would be pilloried now if you treated a female artist the way she was treated for the deci- decisions she made. Yeah. Um, even some, even looking back on some of the footage and I know Gay Byrne absolutely loved her and and you know always had her interests at heart but some of the footage you'll come back at that now can be can it, it looks a little bit patronizing to be honest you oh know? yeah I, it's, it's always I, kind of what's wrong with you love kind of that was yeah. the tone of every question he ever asked her absolutely and I think she was trying to be nice enough to comply because she talks in other actually she talks early on in the film as well about um that she was very soft spoken, very quiet person, mm. quite shy. And but when but when she sang, she wanted to scream. So it was her absolute outlet as an artist um, to to sing the way she did, you know. And uh, yeah, I think she kind of got really famous and then just went, you know what, this is not for me. As she said in the clip introducing there, this is not going to work for me. And she says, though, like her, her music suffered, like her first album, after that came out, it was a uh, universal mother, I think, wasn't it? Um, mm. After the smash hit that was um, I do not want what I haven't got and, and the line in the Cobra. And, you know, sales were affected. Her career was impacted by um, what she did, did. And, you know, you could ask now, would it have happened to a guy? You could ask, would it happen now? And I think the film really is a reclamation, I think, of Sinead O'Connor's career and a brilliant, brilliant reminder. By the way, the music is front and centre through the whole thing. Mm. It's a brilliant reminder of what a great talent she was and is. And uh, it's an emotional watch, this one. I really liked And I'm not... I'm not a huge diehard fan. I did go to see her once. I I did buy a few albums. But, you know, it's quite an emotional film. It's it's brilliantly told. And... uh, one of the great documentaries for me and like Senna I compared it to Senna early, earlier on there, there isn't a talking head in sight in this this is brilliantly right. edited and strung yeah. together um, even though it has many contributors and it doesn't waste a second in telling its story so it's really great filmmaking too yeah right okay uh, and that's in cinemas uh, uh, from today cinemas today uh, yeah. right okay uh, a comment on the uh, plastic wine bottle that we had a drink from earlier on that's a flat pack wine uh, Eamon says I don't think I don't drink from plastic containers nor do I drink carbonated drinks from them I certainly wouldn't drink wine from them compare the taste of milk from a carton compared to a plastic container Coca-Cola from a can in comparison to a plastic bottle there's a huge difference I can't imagine this would do anything positive for the taste taste of the wine uh the uh kevin and cork on the same subject says uh what's the oh no sorry what's the uh, what's the name of the burning your furniture wine i missed it says kevin that was uh, that was the white that we was the lugana that was the uh thomasy la fornaci lugana and it's the 2021 vintage and it's 1799 independent off licenses uh mark who uh, in Balladoyle, who uh, described himself as a mad notion says uh, does she know any dublin 5 or dublin 13 or even online retailers selling 
drinking champagne Jacquard. Used to be in McHugh's in Jus de Vigne, yes, but it, no longer available. Yeah, Jacquard was um, Solera Wines, as far as I remember, did Jacquard. And uh, they have a website. So if you look them up uh, last year or well, before COVID, he was definitely doing it. So I'm not sure if he's still doing it. So Solera Wine Merchants, and that's that's who that's who does Jacquard. Right. OK. And so now uh, Jared Leto is going to play uh, Carl Lagerfeld. Is there a kind of a thing now where anybody who's anyone in fashion has to have a film about them? Yeah, I think so. Um, this kind of makes sense in a way because they'd obviously work together. I'm 90% sure he'd modelled for him in his time, uh, in Lagerfeld's time as uh, artistic director of Chanel. He died in February 2019. Um, Leto was described as like being a very full circle moment and that he's an artist and he's like so honoured to play him. We don't have a director attached yet. Uh, he is producing alongside Emma Ludbrook uh, through their production company. But I feel like we're going to get a lot of Carl Lagerfeld depending on when I'd imagine this will be like there's no word on when it's going into production but I'd imagine maybe late 2023 2024 mm. release um, but it's interesting because the Met Gala theme next year is also Carl Lagerfeld related and there's been kind of a lot of kickback about that because he was a very controversial figure in fashion a lot of anti-fat language he used anti-semitism oh, uh, comments, Great. comments against like the Me Too movement like you name it he hated it and had something to say about it um, so there's been this big conversation around whether the Met Gala red carpet will become this place of protest like protesting the theme and protesting him and what he stood for or whether people will just like get in line and wear the nice dresses and nobody yeah. will care but yeah because yeah, I, I, like I mean I know the House of D they, they all hated each other but and so that made it an interesting story is there anything apart from his obnoxious belief system. Is there anything interesting about this chap's life? Lagerfeld, I mean. I don't know no. a huge amount about him, but what I learned from him from uh, Andre, the name is escaping me now, but he was he worked for Vogue and they would have had a very close relationship up until kind of a certain point where he just seemed to cut everyone off. Um, I'm not actually sure if his history growing up but but then I'm like how do you this is the difficulty with it, making a movie about someone's life as well like are they going to gloss over the fact that he said all these really horrible things no, in the movie as well yeah. that you can't is it going to be this really celebrate oh, like obviously he was talented and that's a lot of people who've been criticising the Met Gala theme like Jamila Jamil like she's acknowledged like obviously he is really talented and I think it's you can acknowledge that but you can't really separate the two I don't know. Yeah, we'll I would have thought so. Right, and Christian Bale uh, gave this <clears throat> interview in GQ. I don't know, I'm sure it was about other things too, but most of it seemed to be just bitching uh, <laughs> about Leonardo DiCaprio. Along the lines of Leonardo DiCaprio gets everything and I don't. He wasn't really bitching. I think he was kind of joking. In that interview with GQ, he's also was talking about how, because he was just in the most recent tour, like talking about Marvel and about how monotonous that was, like acting in front of a green screen. But the main thing he said was that there was like at least five roles in the 90s that he lost to Leonardo DiCaprio, including Titanic. He got to the screen test stage for that which is just absolutely demented can you imagine Christian Bale as no, Jack he'd no. have set fire to the ship <laughs> <laughs> screaming Rory yeah. he would have been the iceberg um, but then also Leonardo DiCaprio was in the running for American Psycho yeah, and you see, you could actually see DiCaprio playing that, given the Wolf of Wall Street type energy. He, yeah, but I you know, think yeah. at that age that he was, probably not. Yes, good point. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. He, he's only after growing up in the last five years. I was trying so. to think of the other five roles, um, but I couldn't. But he kind of said, "Yeah, look, it's it's grand. Like, it's happy to happy to happy for him to have gotten the roles." Well, of course, he said. Yeah. That. 
But it's, it, it is interesting that, like, if you're going, you're casting a film and you go, well, it's either going to be Leonardo DiCaprio or Christian Bale. Yeah. Why would you even think that? Yeah. You know. There's only two white, straight <laughs> men we can pick from. <laughs> These two or nobody else. Yeah, that's an, that's an odd pairing. Right, uh, we do have to take a commercial break. We've uh, one more movie and more wine to talk about after this. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, we are in the midst of movies and booze. Uh, today there was uh, €20,465.86 in the cash machine. Let's find out, did anyone win it? News Talk's Cash Machine. Hey, this is Barry Dunn. We are getting ready to make this afternoon's call. Hassan Mazel joined our growing list of big winners yesterday when he took our call and gave us the correct cash amount. There's a man who's going to have a good weekend. We've reset the cash machine. We're going again right now, so keep an eye on your phone. If this is you, don't panic, but you will need to answer your phone within five rings, and you'll need to tell us today's winning amount. One ring. Two rings. Three rings. Four rings. Five rings. Do you know what? Somebody is going to be staring at their phone all weekend, just wondering, was it us? Was it the cash machine? Should I have answered... And yeah, you probably should have. €20,465.86 was on the line. But we'll roll it over till Monday. We'll give it a good shake while we're at it. And if you've entered since yesterday, 5pm, you're already in that next game. But make sure you've got the correct cash total. The winning continues on News Talk's cash machine. Listen to the heart shoulder just after 5 to hear that new cash amount. And we could be calling you. News Talk's cash machine. Right, uh, no winner that'll get rolled over uh, until Monday. Right, uh, in the meantime, let's uh, move on to our second red wine of okay, the day. Okay, this is the Montruby Black. It's 18 euros on sale. It's normally 20 euro. It's the 2021 vintage. Uh, Wheelahan's Wines in Silver Tassie, Lachlanstown, County Dublin, um, and also online. Um, this is an award-winning oh, yeah. organic wine, and it, it's produced in a small town in Altpenedes, the key to this is it's high altitudes, 800 metres above sea level. The uh, region is about 60 kilometres from Barcelona and um, it's a high quality boutique winery that was founded in 1984 and they're known for their organic viticulture and making wine from indigenous grapes. This is Grenache or the Catalan spelling of it is Garnacha with the X in there or Garnacha as it's more commonly known. Um, it's a Spanish grape obviously um, but th- what they do when they're making this wine, this is what we call a vino joven. In other words it's not an aged Spanish wine, it's a young wine, it's a modern way of making wine but they actually use partial carbonic maceration. That's the uh, fermentation process they use in Beaujolais, which gives you that very sort of fruit-forward, fruity style of wine. Well, this wine is partially fermented using the carbonic maceration. So what you've got is very young, very easy, soft um, wine. It's got lots of ripe fruit, absolutely, you know, um, tons of it, even on the nose. Colour is very purple. It still looks very young. Um, you've got this lovely, you know, Dark fruit, like hints of black cherry, right? And then when you taste it, it's gorgeous, really ripe, soft, soft tannin, very Moorish. Mm. Now, what would this go? Veg- anybody who's into vegetarian food, vegetables have an earthy flavour to them. So what you need is a wine with a lot of fruit, because that, that just makes the, the, the earthiness of the vegetables. This would be perfect for any sort of vegetarian dish you were going to cook. Yeah, okay. So lovely Mont Ruby Black, 18 euro on offer, um, Huilahan wines and a super Spanish wine from the Penedes region. Yeah, it's lovely. And you don't have to eat a big bowl of uh, lentils with it or anything like that. <laughs> uh, just to remind you, uh, newstalk.com forward slash events. 
If you'd like to be in the audience next way, uh, next week, that's today week in the uh, River Lee Hotel in Cork City. Uh, the, uh, the usual movies in the booth stuff, uh, some fantastic guests and music as well. That's this day week. Go to newstalk.com forward slash events if you'd like to be uh, in the audience for that. So, um, Velma now is definitely gay, Fanula. Yeah. That's the thing. This is uh, from Scooby Doo. Yes. She wasn't, she wasn't. She, there was a lot of off again, on again here. I think on. it was heavily implied, or they tried to, to heavily imply it. So the whole thing is that there's a new animated movie, Trick or Treat Scooby Doo. And again, it's kind of implied because she sees this designer and is like totally goo goo gaga for her, right? But this has kind of been an open, I don't know, this open secret or theory among fans. Um, and even James Gunn, who directed the live action movies, came out in 2020 and said that they tried to make her like explicitly gay in those movies but the studio kept pulling everything back and like watering it down and then in the sequel she had a boyfriend so gay rights the okay. gay stay winning yeah good one but, yeah. but, in, but now she will be totally absolutely she is I'm now proud. she's gay in this but in terms of there's actually another like adult animated series coming from Mindy Kaling who did The Office and oh, yeah. lots of other things she's actually playing Velma um, but no word on whether she's going to be in this who knows we don't know if it's going to be canon uh, in terms of the other cast we have Sam Richardson as Shaggy Constance Wu as Daphne Glenn Howerton as Fred I don't think we have a, a voice for Scooby yet but there's loads of other big stars in that animated series that's coming to HBO Max so we should get it over here on Sky um, and that's coming in 2023 and it's just yeah. called Velma I would imagine anyone could do a Scooby voice. It's, well, it's not that like, like complicated, you know. I'm you available. Yeah. Uh, right, uh, we'll move on to our second uh, movie. It's The Lost King. Here's a clip. Please don't take this the wrong way. But even from my perspective, this is starting to look a bit like an unhealthy obsession. I can't believe you just said that. I'm doing this for you. Do you know what people say about you? I'm sure it's not particularly flattering. Do, do you know who William Shakespeare is? Okay, well, he was a very celebrated writer and everyone thinks he's amazing and he wrote a play about you. And there's this bit where you're supposedly talking about yourself. Go on. So lame and unfashionable that dogs bark at me as I hold by them. You're so weird that you even freak out dogs. It's a bit harsh. Yeah, that is a bit odd. Uh, I assume that's one of the kind of fantasy sequences uh, in The Lost King. Is that right, Esther? Yeah, it's kind of played... I mean, it's Steve Coogan co-writing um, the screenplay directed by Stephen Frears, who he worked with in, on Philomena, of course, most famously. And they're playing that for comedy, but I just couldn't buy into... I just thought there was a better narrative there than having her have an imaginary friend. Now, they, you know, her friends are concerned about her. She becomes obsessed with the with finding out more about this King King Richard III. Um, but I just, yeah, she's talking to a lad dressed up as a king in her kitchen. You know, mm, I'm mean, just, yeah. I couldn't buy into it. And I think there are pro- probably other better ways of doing it. But um, yes, yeah, so, so he's been kind of vilified throughout history and, and we see her as she refers to there. She brings her kids to see um, King Richard III, Shakespeare's take and where he's vilified as a killer and starts getting curious as to whether this is, it's historically accurate. And she joins a, a historical society um, who, who also believe he's been unfairly pilloried, but then gets kind of obsessed with finding out 
where his remains are. And it's quite funny. You see her in a, a, Les, a Lester car park at one stage and she has a strong sensation that he is there and she sees an R on the ground and asks the guy, what does your stand for? And he says, reserved. Um, so, you know, there's kind of moments of kind of wry British comedy in there. It feels like a film you'd, they would be made in the 1990s. It's kind of old school. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a bit Richard Curtis-y I, maybe even or attempting to be. It's. I just don't know who it's for, actually. Yeah. I go in and ask two questions to anything I see. It's like, how am I responding to it and who would I send to it? And I'm not sure about the second one on this. But I did enjoy I did enjoy it, like mostly because of the script, which is quite witty at places. Um, and mostly because of Sally Hawkins performance performance, because she can just inhabit any character and she mm. brings a, a real melancholy to this woman you know you do feel like she's middle aged she has Emmy her her marriage to Steve Coogan is, is, is broken up but there's unfinished business there as well you get a sense and she's a very melancholy kind of person you know she's been sidelined at work because of um, her c- condition and she's just j- jaded and, and weary and this is a project that she really needs to realise. I think she becomes very personally invested. Um, but as I say, it's it's the last film you would imagine to cause a fracas, but it has uh, because the um, you know the the guys at university Leicester University who. Um, it's claimed in the film sidelined her, this woman, Philippa Langley, by the name, by the way, it's her name, um, that they sidelined her and that she didn't get the credit for her discovery or for, you know, getting it, uh, you know, into play in the first place. Um, and they're very annoyed about that, Sean. Very annoyed. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, obviously the ever- film would be pulled because of their huge pull, <laughs> uh, uh, huge influence. Yeah, yeah, so they're kind of, yeah, there's a little kind of game of handbags going on yeah. uh, in British media at the moment about it all. So it's um, all right from the sounds it's of it all as right. a kind of a it's, hangover film. Uh, yeah, it's very, yeah. very, very much in tree territory here, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. But uh, as I say, I'll watch Sally Hawkins in anything. Oh, Loved so would I. I really fancy Loved Sally her. Hawkins as well. I know they give her I kind of, it. they give her kind I of troubled women to play a lot of the time, but I really fancy her, I must say. Yeah, no, uh, there's something very sexy about her. There is indeed. Yeah. Okay, uh, that, uh, that's uh, that's The Lost King. Finally, uh, Brian has texted in to ask, I wonder if Brendan Gleeson will tear up a picture of the Pope on Saturday Night Live this weekend? Yeah, that remains to be seen. He's on yeah. tomorrow. First time hosting. I can't wait to watch him. We haven't seen much yet of what he's actually going to be like, but he did like a promo clip where he's pretending to skateboard around the studio, which is very endearing. Yes, so I thought that wasn't really him either. I, yeah. I yeah. just kind of love him though. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, as long be- as they don't give him an Aer Lingus terrible sketch like they did to Sarah Sharon, yeah, yeah. we're fine. Anything's yeah. better than that. Yeah, hopefully. Right. That's our lot for today. Thanks, of course, to Estefanula and Jean. Movies and booze. On Moncrief. With Marks and Spencer. They're going to make me a dining off her. I can't refuse. A martini shaken monster. With all the gin joints in all the world, she walks.